0: Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds. I've been wondering, is there is there a kind of a strange paradox about the fashion industry in that it's sort of their raison d'etre to be avant garde culturally? But do they have the same approach when it comes to technology? Mm.
1: I think not. I mean, <laughs> the fashion industry prides itself basically on, I guess, reinventing itself four times a year with uh, the four different seasonal collections, um, and uh, it's uh, it's based around you know, innovation and creativity and uh, evolution, um, which in a creative sense is marvellous, but when it comes to the structure of, of, of their businesses or the business of fashion, um, they're, they're just... really (laughs) adverse to embracing uh, new ideas it's It's kind of like a like a a bounded rebellion (laughs) well I I don't know where it is it's just I I think it comes from um, decades of success and so if it's not broken you know why change it I mean you know it, you know, the things that that's given most change to the industry has been online retailing. But really, when you look at it, there's still only 12%, 13 14% of, uh, globally of apparel sold online. It's still quite minuscule. So yeah. so while it's had uh, an, an incredible impact, it, it's, it's still quite
0: small. I'm having a cup of tea uh, in the London offices uh, of Ord, uh, and I'm with the founder of the company, Simon Locke. Uh, and actually, Simon, we—I realised we last time we saw each other was almost a decade ago. Uh, I know. Uh, Back when we were both in Australia, and of course, Simon, as many of you would know, is the founder of the Fashion Weeks uh, in Australia. Uh, before that, uh, before he sold the business, uh, and I, I think you know when I when I think back to that time, the early two thousands. I mean, it was really an extraordinary time in Sydney, wasn't
1: it? It really was. It was. Um a very interesting time that we had created the concept for for uh, a new fashion week in the world the the only one then on the southern hemisphere and the only one really outside of new york paris london or milan with the concept of trying to attract you know leading buyers and media to come to the other side of the world to see <laughs> designers that they had never heard of but um i think around about that time um in australia there was a lot of excitement there's a lot of excitement going on about the olympics so yeah. so brand australia was was out there in the world uh, we were doing very well on other creative areas of endeavour, particularly in the movies and and culinary experts, and so there was a bit of a understanding that culturally Australia was more than just beaches and uh, and our ability to hit a cricket ball. And so the thought that maybe there is a creative industry there, and in the fashion industry was an interesting one, and creating Australian Fashion Week as the catalyst for people to go, okay, well maybe I will come down and and have a look, and of course. You know, they discovered amazing brands like Zimmerman. They discovered people like you know, Akira, Izagao, and others who have subsequently gone on to international acclaim. So, so I think there was a, a spirit of openness globally to find out more about Australia. And then in Australia itself, I mean, there really was a, a, an incredibly... Um, in-depth creative set that was doing fantastic things on that island that wasn't really getting great exposure. So to be able to shine a spotlight on that creative industry was marvellous.
0: Well, a key part of that story, which I think people often don't appreciate when it comes to uh, Fashion Weeks, was the, I guess, the role of attracting buyers from outside the market. Mm. And um, there's a link between what you did there and, of course, what you're doing now, except rather than staging huge, very expensive events that require lots of, planes and, and the logistics to move people and, and, and stuff around using technology. So, so how, how did you, I guess, then go on to this new part of starting Ord? Yeah, it was really interesting. One really did
1: lead to the other and, um, and it was really based around the, the, the same sort of appetite that, that fashion buyers do have, I mean, their, their job is to discover new and exciting brands that they can bring in store to, uh, to their customers. Um, to be able to sell to them. They need to have a balance between brands that are well known by their customers, the Versace's and the Louis Vuitton's of life, but also they want to have new and exciting brands that they can, they can introduce and perhaps they even have them on an exclusive basis. So, so that's the reason how the International Fashion Week came into being, that uh, buyers are traveling you know, now four times a year to uh, to look at these new seasons collections and to come up with the right merchandising value. But we saw an interesting phenomenon towards the end of uh, my time running Australian Fashion Week. Um, so this was really around about the time of the global financial crisis where where um, being a, a very well-meaning but definitely not in the A-League of London, Paris, Milan and New York, um, we saw a lot of a drastic budget cutting, having out of the back of the global financial crisis. Right. And, of course, buying teams were reduced. Their ability to travel was reduced. And we were really one of the first fashion weeks to feel that impact more than anywhere else. We went from one year having 285 um Buyers from some of the best retailers around attending the event to within 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 two or three years that down to seven Buyers and so it's just like hang on. We've just fallen off a cliff. What has happened here? And of course, it wasn't just the economic situation It was also um, There's more There was more designers trying to show there was more, you know, pulling power from New York or London There was a lot of industry factors, but it affected us dramatically and so so, you know, I asked the question, well, okay, well, if we can't get the buyers to come to Australia, how can we take these wonderful collections in a meaningful way um, to buyers all around the world? And this little thing had been invented called the internet. And we <laughs> thought, hmm, it could be an interesting vehicle. At the time, though, um, when we first built the vision for ORD, there really wasn't the technology or the bandwidth to be able to showcase collections in a meaningful way to a professional fashion buyer. professional fashion buyer needs more than just a front, back, and side photo yeah. to be able to make because it. Because presumably you could
0: just email like a lookbook of collections. Which was happening anyway. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, the feedback from buyers is, this is just not enough information for me to make a commercial decision to place an order for half a million U.S., on this PDF that you've sent me, right? Um, and so, uh, so we went about okay. If we were going to have virtual showrooms um, that ready-to-wear designers could uh, present their collections in, what technology was going to be uh, needed to really allow um, a buyer to understand those collections with great detail?
0: What, what was sort of the, the missing piece that you, you can get, for example, with your new technology now around using virtual reality that you don't get from a PDF? Is it, is it the movement of the clothes? Is it the different angles? Is it the way well, it drapes? I think it's a combination
1: of things. From a professional buyer, you know, they go, okay, give me, a, give me a look at the overall silhouette. Okay, so that's one of the first things they want to understand, the silhouette um, of a particular product. And then they want to understand okay, well, what's the fabrication? So they want to understand the different colorways and different patterns that it comes in. So to understand those two things together, they need to have a look at every aspect of an outfit. So 360 degree aspect. Right. Um, so that if they were physically in a showroom and that garment was on a model, they could walk around the model and they could see how it fits and how it moves and on every part. So so our challenge was, okay, how can we replicate that online? So we, we first moved towards 360-degree um, view. Um, image generation now right. three sixty degree like hundreds know. of cameras in in sort of yeah, in I mean a, in an array um, exactly I mean you know th- this was introduced to everyone in the world through the Matrix <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's you bullet know. bullet time <laughs> yeah so and, and that just made everyone go wow you mm-hmm. know. but. That, um, I think, three seconds of film in the Matrix. I mean, I've heard, you know, 6 million, 10 million us to, to, to create that. So so obviously, we needed to find a way to commercialize the use of, uh, of 360 um, and uh, and to create effective 360 degree images, the combination of obviously data capture, of lighting, of, of software, all, all combined together. And uh, we set ourselves on a, a technology development pathway to commercialize it, and that is to make it so affordable that it can be used in every instance and in mobile locations, not in a fixed studio. Right. So that, that was our challenge because our collections, uh, when we do data capture on them, are usually finished in the very last moment, just before they go on the catwalk. Um, and then once they're finished on the catwalk, they need to go straight away into the physical showroom. So... so um, those collections are in New York, they're in Paris, they're in Milan. they're in Shanghai, they're in Tokyo, they're scattered all around the world.
0: Because people are looking to buy the minute it goes live on it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, we don't have the opportunity to say, oh, just bring them to our studio in LA, uh, we'll take three weeks to shoot them and then we'll be able to present them to buyers. We, we have, in some instances, a number of hours. <laughs> um, so the and- designer is literally
0: sewing the last little bits on to finalise that product look
1: absolutely i mean and, and you know it doesn't matter whether it's you know it's it, it's dior or whomever i mean you know designers tend to work to the very last moment right and uh, and so we needed to build a business model around that so the collections are finished at the very last moment and then they're needed the physical collections are, are, are required immediately so we had to okay. We have to go to multiple locations around the world, and we've got a window of maybe six to eight hours when we can shoot these collections. Um, so we need to generate 360-degree images, and we need to do it in a, in, a, in a mobile setting. So we created a machine called the All 360 right. um, which is a mobile data capture unit, which basically... Um, it doesn't quite fit in the backpack, but um, you can take it in a small elevator up to the, an artillery in Paris or you can take it into a basement studio in New York or wherever right. the collection happens to be. You know, and How long does it take to, to capture an image? A couple of seconds. Right. Um, and also the beauty of uh, the machine is it just it can be operated by a trained operator it doesn't have to be operated by a professional photographer because the integrated lighting on the software and the data capture is all set to produce our 360 degree images
0: this is a big deal not just for brands but for retailers i mean one of the i've spent uh, and i've actually had on this show a number of um uh, people who work in the big online retailers and you know when i visited their office just the sheer amount of space dedicated to studios and and actually capturing images is extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, studio-based setups with professional
1: photographers and stylists and everything else that goes along with it. You're talking on average around you know, somewhere between two or $300 uh, an image. And so everything you see on Net-A-Porter or any other, the, the big sites, that's sort of the image cost. And it's, it's a huge expense and it's a hugely time-consuming as well. I mean, you know, and also too, the consumer experience is not great. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a front, back and side shot, um, and it's not interactive. Mm. Um, now with uh, with all 360 degree images, um, a consumer can engage with them, they can spin them around, they can stop them at any point, they can mm. zoom in on any detail. So, so this is giving a much better consumer experience. And, and when our images have been used in, in B2C, which they progressively are being used more and more, we're seeing increased sales conversion rates quite dramatically at times. Right. Um, but equally as importantly, we've seen huge decreases up to 50% in return rates. Yes. And this is a huge problem for the industry. I mean, globally, something in the order of 23 to 25% of all products that are purchased are returned. Um, Within twenty four hours, and the reason why they return is because oh I didn't realize it had a pleat up the back. Oh I didn't realize it looked like that. I know my wife
0: doesn't buy anything unless there's a video. Yeah, and she can actually see someone moving in it. Exactly, and so
1: and so um, you know all three sixty degree images provide that consumer confidence, that increased product information. So we're seeing increased sales rates and conversion rates, and also return rates which means we're lowering the carbon emissions the way the industry is operating as well which is a very important side benefit
0: do do, do you see this though still as an intermediate step for essentially clothes, just algorithmic objects i mean a lot of the new generation of designers are working themselves in cad like programs so at what point do we just have you know virtual clothes and virtual models
1: yeah i think we we are at that stage now. It's just a matter of about commercializing the technology. I mean, I think there's um, over the next five, six, seven years or so that um, um, image generation from physical products will continue to drive B2B and B2C sales. Um, however, as more designers and more retailers start to design In three D and with CAD, so they're creating uh, virtual three hundred and sixty degree or three D designs, which to the naked eye you can't tell the difference whether that's a photographic image or it's a three D image. And then being able to place that on a virtual model again, you know, the consumer is not going to be able to tell the difference. And so, if I don't have to physically create a sample, I'm lowering, you know. Uh, my uh, my costs. I, I'm I'm, be, I'm embracing more sustainability practice. I'm doing all sorts of things, and also course, you have high degrees
0: of personalization too. High right? degrees of
1: personalization. It means that I can put a sample out there and I can sample it in 126 different colours if I want. Take it to the market, but then only produce the ones that sell. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to see a, a lot of changes in the effectiveness. I think you know there's a there's a lot of talk at the moment about you know, um, particularly in fast fashion that, you know, within 12 months, half of all fast fashion that's purchased is is thrown away. Um, We're also seeing huge amount of volumes of markdown stock because, you know, um, uh, retailers are always taking punts (laughs) uh, that this is gonna work and what happens if it doesn't, then you're left with all this stock, does that end up in landfill? I mean, all all these sorts of issues. So, I think if technology can start to introduce um you know product is only manufactured that is sold yeah um then fast fashion where
0: it comes to you fast but they only make one of it
1: yeah so i think i think these are the sort of innovations that we're going to see technology is going to have a really positive impact on on
0: on many elements of the industry even luxury brands are struggling with the idea of what is luxury if you're mass producing something and um you know if you eventually have like you know the louis vuitton or the gucci or the deal algorithm which knows you, knows your body, and essentially is creating something for you and you alone. But you, you can scale it up because now it's just data and algorithms and images. Yeah, well, I
1: think, I mean, we're already starting to <coughs> play around with um, two sorts of technologies and, and bringing them together. Is that when we shoot um, our collections in, in 360, we're shooting digital images. But with um, with infrared and with scanning, we can also, at the same time, capture the data points of, of that um, clothing. So oh, right. what I mean by this is that when I shoot um, a, a piece of clothing, I also have its data points. So I know that it's a size six, for example, and that I have the, all the data points for size six. So now I can scale those data points up to size eight, nine, 10, or down the other way. So I have all the data points of the clothes. Now, if I can have an avatar of the customer, so if I can scan the customer, I um, mean, there's already very simple technology which allows you to scan yourself through your phone right. and puts all your data points into to create a personalized avatar of yourself. And so, if I've got my data in a personal avatar and I've got data of all the products I like, I can now try those products on. And so, it means measures- okay. if you had like augmented
0: reality glasses, that's sort of a <laughs> well,
1: yeah. I mean, you can you can do it in a virtual showroom. Um, you can, okay, I'm standing in that virtual showroom and I'd like to see what it look like on that size six. Well, oh, it's a bit tight. I'll kind of try a size eight. Mm, what's it look like in blue? What's it look like in green? I mean, you know, there's a uh, lot there's of virtual reality that's going to happen like that. And then of course, once you've got all those data set points, then it makes augmented reality possible as, as well. So I mean, that's just going to be another way to, to create that experience.
0: Well, you know, I've, I've, there's already a trend of retailers trying to reduce the size of their merchandising departments because, I mean, why have individuals make decisions when you have all the data on exactly what people are buying? Yeah. Is this a threat for the buyers, the traditional buyers as well? You know, well, I don't think it's a threat. I mean, we, or we, or we, or we're, we're always going to
1: see, you know, what is jobs, the new buyer? Yeah, there's, 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 <laughs> we're going to see people's jobs changes. But uh, you know, one of the one of the innovations we're working on now is. is I'm just take a, an example that that um, um, a designer is presenting their collection at um, at uh, Paris Fashion Week. Now, in the past, um, fashion weeks used to be trade events. The only people that would see these collections, quite frankly, were the buyers or the media that were invited to the event. And of course, since the advent of the smartphone um, and the ability through social media platforms to distribute these images so whatever goes on that catwalk is now instantaneously presented to the consumers around the world right um, and of course consumers interact with those images oh I like that like 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 oh I don't like that oh that's dumb or whatever it might be so the minute a wholesale collection so remember this collection is not available it hasn't been made yet you know it's only this sample collection that's been shown so however at this point, let's just say we're in March in, uh, in Paris, and uh, this is the new autumn winter collection of Chanel or Dior, whoever it is. Um, so it's just been washed out around the world to all these consumers. So we now have consumer engagement data points that say what they like out of the collection. They like this, they like that, they didn't like this. So that's interesting. Now, um, that data says, um, they don't like the red they like the yellow they like the short they like the long whatever it might be so that we've got a data set there that's coming out of that consumer then the retailer um, who at that particular point is going okay i'm now in the next week or so i need to make a decision on what i'm going to purchase from this collection because then in turn the design is going to make that product for me and deliver it in store in six months time so i'm going to now go back and have a look at my historic sell through data yeah. um, in my store. And I know that red doesn't really work for me, that this size works for me, this shape works for me. my customers like this, my customers like this. So all, all of a sudden, I've got these incredible sets of data sets. I know historically what's worked for me. I've now got, I now know what consumers like on a particular collection. And algorithms will combine these data sets to tell you what your order should look like so that it can be most effective for you as a retailer in terms of the product the color the sizing and the price point so so can machine learning do that more effectively than a buyer absolutely so what does a buyer become a buyer becomes a, a controller of of these algorithms and putting right. together merchandise,
0: uh, but, and I was going to say that's a very di- the algorithmic buyer of the future is a very different kind of person than the sort of the <coughs> absolutely fabulous three martini lunch. Person and going 90s. through personal <laughs> gut feeling, yeah, and, you know, personal gut feeling
1: might have a success rate with some buyers that's quite high. With others, it can send companies bankrupt. <laughs> you know, Barney's. You know, look at Barney's. I mean, you know just gone into to, to liquidation now why is that so you know the bigger picture is the product they have in store people don't want yeah so is this a buying problem
0: so- when you're a department store in this age where if you know what you want you can get it very easily your your ability to curate Unexpected or discover new things becomes more, not less important.
1: Correct, absolutely.
0: Because that's actually the key value you're providing, not not the not the availability of the inventory.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing much evidence of either retailers or fashion brands currently using data and AI and machine learning in this way?
1: We've seen some evidence of some of the big companies, H and M and Zara, using a lot of um, um, consumer data sets to better manage their inventory. Right. So we're certainly <coughs> seeing um, from a like a, a logistics perspective. From a logistics perspective, but also from a, a trend purchasing perspective. Right. So we're starting to see that as sort of the front end. Um, but no, there's there's not a lot of evidence in the industry at the moment that uh, that uh, that AI is going to have a, an impact in certain areas. But but, it, right. but it certainly is going to.
0: Um, you t- you took a big investment recently from uh, Alibaba. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, which is an incredible sort of testament to, I guess, uh, their sharing a vision of where this is going to go. But if anyone's going to think about this differently, it's the Chinese, you know, because they have, uh, you know, more of a tabula rasa when it comes to thinking about the future of retail. I mean, not only is Singles Day like this extraordinary, <laughs> you know, incredible. consumer phenomenon, um, you know, they've, they've taken a lot of ideas that even came out of Japan, uh, like, you know, uh Tokyo Girls' collection of live buying uh, from fashion shows, and they've sort of scaled all of this up. So what are you now seeing in in China in terms of data and technology and new payment platforms? Is it changing the way people buy fashion? Yeah, it's it's the most technology-enabled
1: retail environment in the world, far in advance of anything we're seeing anywhere else. And uh, it doesn't even get the recognition it deserves because it's all in Chinese. Right. And it's really interesting because, you know, because the user interfaces are so um, harsh to the Western eye that that the user interfaces on the apps, the user interfaces on the platforms to a Western eye look so horrible. They're sort of dismissed, therefore, as being, you know, not as nice or not as, you know, not as effective. But this is such a fallacy. How does the
0: customer journey differ, you know, for a sophisticated digital fashion buyer in China using these apps?
1: Well, it it, um, it differs significantly because if you just take um, the WeChat, as one experience, which is, you know, the, the super apps of super apps that, you know, within this one environment, it's seamless so that you can go into one environment and go shopping. You can have a VR experience. You can pay for it with a digital wallet. You can, you know, have it delivered to your home. You can, it, it's it's all within one environment and, and that's very sophisticated. Or, you know, you can just identify you want to go and pick something up at a store and just walk in, physically pick it up and walk out without paying. I mean, you know, there's, there's all, all the technology is, is a lot more seamless, and also the um, you know the the data behind the consumer engagement at every part of the journey is is so incredibly effective that. Um, the communication that's being served to you is so absolutely spot on right. that uh, you know uh, you've been identified as a consumer for something you didn't need you didn't know that you needed it until it was put in front of you and of course then you have to have it. So you know the data science that goes along with with a lot of the user interfaces this platform is, is incredibly so sophisticated. So so from the consumer experience, you know the user interface is better you know, the consumer engagement is better. What's being fed to me as a consumer is more effective because it's more appropriate to my wants and needs because my data is being followed. And so, you know, data privacy um, laws are not as they are elsewhere in the world in China. So this does give retailers a lot more flexibility and being able to hone in um, on what is the right product for? Has Alibaba for launched,
0: you know, uh, last year their sort of luxury mall? Mm-hmm. Um, has this, have they sort of taken some of these ideas to, I guess, merchandise luxury in a very different way? Because I mean, traditional brands like Louis Vuitton and Richemont have always been very frightened of having their products appear on Chinese e-commerce platforms because of fakes and not knowing how their brands would appear. Yeah, look,
1: I think. There's a lot of apprehension still about luxury brands, particularly with online retailing in China. Again, they don't like themselves presented in this Chinese environment because the Chinese environment is foreign to them, where everything is is more open and more use of white space, not all these crazy characters and pop ups and <laughs> thing going on because it's, it's like, like the mahjong effect. Yeah, for them, that, for them, that looks cheap, but the, but but that's what. Consumer Chinese consumers want and engage with in a positive way, so you've got to accept that. I mean, there is a lot of problem with counterfeiting in you know, in China, and you know, is the consumer being delivered the real authentic product? I mean, this is an area that we're um, we're looking at developing at the moment. A product called Authentic, which is incredibly interesting, and um, it's it's really going to be a world first product in being able to create an individual. Um, Fingerprint for a product, and that is that. You know, the T-shirt that you have on at the moment is made out of cotton, organic cotton. Mm. The chaos structure around organic cotton fibre means that if we really zoom into the detail of the fibre, there is a uniqueness in the. Oh, right. So but you won't it, actually
0: need to use a. Um, you won't even need to use a RFID tag no, or blockchain or anything. No, that's completely right.
1: stepped over. This individual fingerprinting technology is going to revolutionize the ability to create an individual digital identity for an individual product. It doesn't matter if it's so one. You of, could hold a
0: Birkin in front of the camera, your smartphone, and basically go, is this real or not?
1: Correct. That's exactly what Authentic does, it's a, it's a consumer app. But uh, what happens is it verifies that product against the original that was made by the manufacturer, (laughs) Um, and in the verification, they'll also show you the authenticity certificate. It'll show you the journey that bag's made to arrive directly to you, and when you get it you'll be able to transfer the digital ownership of that bag to yourself so in the future if you want to sell it all well, I was gonna say for secondary
0: markets that'll be transform yeah, so this is
1: this is a very very new and interesting
0: exciting oh, really? project to work long yeah. long. so when you think about the next 10 years when it comes to fashion or retail what's something that you think will be doing in 2030 that's hard to imagine today
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of the commercialization of things we sort of know about will be happening. You will be able to, through augmented reality, um, try things on. You'll have virtual fitting rooms. You will have a virtual uh, avatar. You'll be served information that's appropriate to your wants and needs, and it's more bespoke towards you. Will we still have physical stores? I think we will still have physical stores, but they'll more be about... The theatre of retail and the entertainment value and the showcasing of retailing as distinct from the transaction of, right. of retail. I think the transaction of retail will happen more and more online. So I think we'll change stores. But then, you know, when you look at you know probably one of the most successful stores around the world, um, Selfridges here in here in London, is that you know it's exciting to go into that store because there's just so much happening it's not just about <laughs> the product you know it's about it's about engagement it's about entertainment it's about food it's about people watching you know it's got as much to do with that as it is to go and find a, a new suit that you might be looking for so i think you know um, retailers are always going to have A role in our life that is going to be a changing one. It's going to be less about the facilitation of the purchase.
0: You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash Between Worlds.